0: for over 80 years, it's been one of the most recognizable marketing symbols in the world. But where is the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile today?
1: A weenie whistle.
0: Name that movie. <laughs> uh, Santa Claus. Santa I Claus, on the spot. yeah.
1: <laughs> Picture this. It's 1997. Perhaps you have a blockbuster movie waiting for you and a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. But before that, you have work to do. You go log on to your grandpa's computer, boot it up, to play Minesweeper and Solitaire. But wait, did these games have a hidden meaning to them?
0: During Prohibition, the U.S. government tried to legislate away alcohol. And while the ban was eventually lifted, there were some sinister turns taken along the way.
1: All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get
0: it. So Dave, have you ever seen the Oscar Meyer Wiener Mobile in person. Well,
1: well, first of all, is it
0: the Weenie Mobile or the Wiener Mobile? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you asked me that, and it is the Weener Mobile. See, I
1: feel like it should be the Weenie Mobile. The ween, the, e, the hard ER just bothers me for some reason. Well, why
0: don't you, after this show, go write a strongly worded email uh, to Oscar Meyer I and will. tell him your idea. I have
1: before, not to them, but just in general. I can't even remember what you asked me at this point. I think you asked me if I'd ever seen the Weenie Mobile. The Weenie Mobile is one of those things that if you're driving as a family, maybe you're going to the beach or you're just even going across town and you see it, your whole car freaks out for some reason reason people whip out their phones they take pictures of it that they'll never look at again I,
0: I saw it at a fair one time but i've never actually seen it in the wild if i saw it in oh, the dude, wild i would uh, i would lose i've my seen mind. it moving where did the iconic symbol of the famous hot dog brand come from and is the wienermobile still roaming the streets of america today so Dave, the Wienermobile was first dreamed up by a man named Carl Meyer, who is the nephew of Oscar Meyer. <laughs> You're going to say Carl, Carl Wiener, sorry. <laughs> yeah, he named it after himself It <laughs> is the Carl Wienermobile. So this was in the year <laughs> 1936, and he proposed it as a marketing stunt to promote their hot dog brand in the times following the hardest hitting years of the Great Depression. Now the original design sort of looks like a metal tube, and the driver would sort of be sticking out of the top of it, but the stunt sort of weirdly took off through the thirties and into the forties and fifties. And while the company did take a brief pause during world war II because of gas rationing, the Wienermobile rose to icon level status throughout those decades. The car would drive through American towns and an Oscar Meyer mascot would wave to the crowds and throw weenie whistles out to the children. So they could sort of alert other kids in town that the Wienermobile had arrived. Dave, the vehicle became synonymous with the brand and really one of the most recognizable, marketing stunts of the last century. As America moved into the 1960s and the 1970s, though, and television had become the next area of marketing, Oscar Mayer pivoted and took another approach, parking the Wienermobile away for a time. But on the 50th anniversary of the first appearance of the vehicle in 1986, Oscar Mayer put the Wienermobile back on the road and people went absolutely nuts with nostalgia. In 1988, the company ordered six new models and the resurgence began. Now, in today's world, if you want to pilot the famous vehicle, there are actually some steps you have to take. The company receives between 1,000 and 1,500 applications annually for only 12 available positions to be a Wienermobile driver. Those that are chosen are given 40 hours of instruction at Hot Dog High in Madison, Wisconsin, and then their routes are tracked meticulously by GPS after they gain the official title of... Hot dogger. Yeah. Those that operate the vehicle come in pairs with one driver and one in the passenger seat, which, by the way, they do officially refer to as sitting shot bun instead of shotgun. (laughs) gun. (laughs) And the passenger deals with more of the waving to the crowd and the handing anything out. And although the car has mostly only generated positive public relations, there have been missteps, such as in 2009, when a Wienermobile driver in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, attempted to back the vehicle out of a driveway and accidentally shot forward, driving the car into an unoccupied home. But aside from that, the vehicle does still move throughout America, People sign up to become drivers who want an excuse to travel the country. Modern Wienermobiles carry up to 11,000 weenie whistles to hand out, and the Wienermobile is not a camper, so those who drive it do have to stay in hotels throughout their journey. Molly Swindall, who in 2020 had just finished up her master's degree while entering a tough job market, told the New York Times about her experience driving the vehicle. She said, quote, it was the only job I applied to. I put all my eggs in that basket. It was my dream job. And so at 26 years old, Swindall was accepted into the program. And while the company did halt its fleet of six Wienermobiles during COVID for a brief time, the pandemic did not stop the traveling show. If anything, it rejuvenated it. The company took a step back, charted new routes, discussed how to more effectively campaign on their social media pages and chart their drivers, and made drivers, in a more modern sense, sort of like influencers for the brand on sites like Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. The company set up social distancing guidelines and doubled down on the power of the Wienermobile. Many who see the vehicle, especially those that grew up in the 70s and 80s, feel a deep nostalgic connection with the weird vehicle and crowds follow them wherever they end up. And actually, Dave, anyone can use the Oscar Mayer website to request a vehicle to come to their town or parade or birthday party. The Wienermobile has made appearances at weddings and even took a newborn baby home for the first time. Molly Swindoll sums it up like this, though. Hearing that the Wienermobile has an impact on people's lives in ways that you wouldn't even imagine is really cool. If it's not out on the road, that's at least one less person I'm making happy.
1: So it looks like the hot doggers uh, can't really ever have much of a lead foot because according to my research here, the Wienermobile is uh, created to go very slow, (laughs) so its it's max speed is like under
0: 70. I mean, it would be bad PR to have the uh, Wienermobile get a speeding ticket, I would imagine. That's true, though. Are you
1: allowed to get mad at the Wienermobile if it's going really slow? Maybe if it's in the left lane. If it's in the left (laughs) lane going slow, you better believe you can get mad at it. Jay, I remember in the late 1990s, early 2000s, you know, back when we had something called dial-up internet, which for you youngster commute listeners meant that you couldn't get on the internet and the house phone at the same time, which actually leads me to now have to explain what a house phone is. So first of all, ask your grandparents if they're still with us, because I'm sure that they still have a house phone. But a house phone is basically a cell phone that only worked in your house. Now, if you were really rich, maybe you had a cordless house phone, which really felt like a cell phone. You could walk around your entire house while talking, but most house phones were actually connected to a curly cord and located in the kitchen. I mean, it sounds kind of funny even saying that out
0: loud. Have you seen the thing where they'll ask kids under like the age of, you know, 25 or whatever to act like they're holding up their hands that they're answering the phone And so, like, people that are, you know, 25 and over, they do, like, the thumb in the ear and then the pinky around the mouth like a phone. Uh You ask a kid to do it now, they just stick their whole palm against their face (laughs) like they're answering a cell phone.
1: That was a very long tangent. But in the 1990s and the early 2000s, most people had Windows-based computers. That's where I was heading. Mac hadn't had its surge into the limelight yet. That was still about a decade away. But the family computer was typically a PC with a Microsoft Windows operating system. And on those Windows computers, we all had a unique shared experience. Because these computers at that time all came with three of the exact same games. Two of which we will talk about today. The first was called Microsoft Paint. Basically, a software program that lets you paint. Next, and these are the two we'll focus on. There was a card game, Solitaire, and finally the confusing math-based game,
0: Minesweeper. I'm going to confess to you right now that I still don't know how Minesweeper works.
1: Well, and you're one of the smartest people I know, so if you can't figure it out, (laughs) there's nobody really good. But chances are that if you're like most of us old enough to have played these games for countless hours, you probably just assumed that both Solitaire and Minesweeper were added as little easy-to-program time-waster games. Something to help distract you for a few minutes before social media scrolling was a thing. A fun little add-on for Microsoft to just throw in. Well, you'd be wrong. It turns out that adding these games was all part of the plan. There was actually a very big purpose to the game's inclusion on the Windows-based operating systems. Jay, both Solitaire and Minesweeper were installed to help teach people how to actually use the computer. In those days, Jay, computers were not what they are now, obviously. Today, kids simply grow up using computers. Most of the time, they learn how to play iPhone games before they even know how to talk. But that wasn't the case in the 1990s. Take Solitaire, for example, rolled out in 1990. The hidden reason behind Solitaire was to teach people how to actually use the mouse, According to Mental Floss, Microsoft saw Solitaire as the most effective way to actually teach users how to drag and drop things using the mouse. And guess what? It worked. A very high percentage of 1990s computer users would actually open up Solitaire before they did anything else on the computer. Essentially reading the computer instruction manual without realizing it. How about Minesweeper? Released in 1992, the confusing yet strangely addicting Minesweeper game was designed to take mouse usage to the next level, this time to introduce the concept of the right and the left click. And it was just a bonus that users fell in love with these games. Minesweeper, even though we're confused by it, essentially a single-player puzzle game disguised as a weird-looking calculator with hidden bombs, has even been referred to as one of the most successful games of all time due to its unique gameplay and legendary status. Jay, in 2012, Microsoft released the Windows 8, which marked the first iteration since the early 90s versions that did not have the classic games on it. You could download them, but they didn't come standard. Backlash ensued. Perhaps realizing the errors of its ways due to some angry emails, Microsoft did bring them back for the Windows 10 release years later. But, Jay, all good things still come to an end. The more recent release of Solitaire is ad-supported. Meaning you have to pay a few bucks per month if you want to drag and drop your card games without any ads popping up.
0: Do you remember what happened when you beat a game of Solitaire? Didn't the cards just shoot all over the screen? Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll be chasing that high for my entire life, watching (laughs) that happen. It's like one of the best moments of my life. That
1: actually says a lot about you.
0: And Jay, (laughs) while these
1: games were games, yes, they were also teaching you without you realizing it. And Microsoft has actually been known to release games that do have real-world applications. One popular example, Flight Simulator. Flight Simulator, first released in the 1980s, comes about as close to really flying a plane as you can without actually flying the plane. It's so real, in fact, that I hated it. (laughs) When I got it as a kid, I remember being so pumped (laughs) to play it because there was such a buzz around it until I realized that you actually had to do stuff in the cockpit or you'll crash and die. Way too
0: complicated. Yeah, how dare Flight Simulator make you simulate flight. So, Dave, it's been a while since we were in high school, but uh, you took a... Couple history classes in high school, and I know at one point you would have learned about prohibition. So, do you remember learning about prohibition? And if so, what do you remember about? Well, I'll have
1: you know? I was actually a history minor in college.
0: Well, I'm sure that was uh, totally intentional. I can always sub
1: in for you if needed. Um, I could take over your classroom right now. I'm sure they would miss a step. So, prohibition, I think, led to gangs. <laughs> is that is
0: that right? Yeah, we're off to a great start.
1: It had to in some way. It led to like a black market for alcohol, so...
0: You're not necessarily wrong. Uh, see? I guess I see what you're trying yeah, to say. Call me next time you'll you but, you need um, a sick
1: day. I'll sub for you.
0: Well, Dave, Prohibition officially went into effect on January 1st, 1920, after the passage of the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, which banned the manufacture, sale, and transportation of all alcoholic beverages in the United States. Uh, we all sort of know how this story ends. Anytime that anyone has ever taken a history class about prohibition, it feels like the the main point that the teacher tries to make is that it did not work. Right? People continued to drink alcohol anyway. Right, but at the time, the country had just been through a war, and anti-alcohol sentiment had already been a cultural movement for decades up to this point. Emergence from World War I gave just enough moral panic for anti-alcohol organizations to get the momentum they needed to convince Americans that alcohol was contributing to moral decay. But Dave, alcohol consumption rates during Prohibition actually soared, and most of the profits generated from these sales ended up in the hands of gangsters and bootleggers. The U.S. government really couldn't control this. Although you could try to limit the import of alcohol into the United States, industrial alcohol is still needed to make products like paint and medical supplies and fuel. And even though the U.S. government did require manufacturers to add unpleasant chemicals to this industrial alcohol to render it undrinkable, bootleggers used chemists who actually could re-nature the product and return the alcohol to a drinkable state. In fact, Dave, by the mid-1920s, some 60 million gallons of industrial alcohol had been stolen for this very purpose. So in frustration, the Treasury Department ordered the denaturing formulas to be more deadly, specifically by upping the levels of methyl, kerosene, nicotine, formaldehyde, chloroform, carbolic acid, acetone, and many other harmful chemicals. The results were almost immediate as hundreds of people began showing up in emergency rooms. Public health officials began issuing warnings and calling for investigations into what was causing this. And by 1926, just in New York City, 400 people had died, and then another 300 the following year in 1927. Across the country, the numbers climbed as well, and estimates today, Dave, put the total number of people who died as a result of this intentional poisoning around 10,000 people. The numbers are disproportionately poor people here as well, since the rich could afford to import alcohol from neighboring countries that was chemical-free. And Dave, past this just being an insane thing that happened, it's actually not even the last time it would happen in American history. In the 1970s, during the war on drugs, the US sprayed marijuana plants in Mexico with a herbicide that was originally intended just to kill them, but instead the plants were loaded with a deadly chemical. But even after this fact was established, the operations continued, despite the fact that it led to deaths as well. So looking at this in hindsight, it raises a lot of questions. The first one being, how did many of us never hear about this in history class, to which I say, there's a lot you haven't heard in history class and you should hear about, because this is the sort of thing we should know, but it is on a long list of things that are glossed over in history classes. But also, to me, it emphasizes the immense danger that can be present in moral crusades. When you feel that you're on the moral right side, oftentimes people believe that their ends justify their means, no matter what those means may be. Those who died are shrugged away as either necessary casualties for a greater good or explained away with, well, if they didn't want to die, they shouldn't have broken the law. And it's also worth noting that prohibition accomplished absolutely nothing because legislating away human behavior hasn't ever really worked. History isn't always perfect, Dave. It's messy and it's full of moral wrongs. And to understand the now, we got to talk about those wrongs as much as we talk about the rights.
1: Wow, man, it's just hard to believe. That people would go to those lengths to actually poison other people because of the fear surrounding alcohol.
0: Yeah, and just it being intentional poisoning as opposed to something like, you know, food poisoning or whatever that's unintentional.
1: It's funny you should bring up food poisoning because I was actually looking up some famous poisoning situations surrounding food and actually found an interesting article. (laughs) titled How to Fake Food Poisoning. So this is for all our commute listeners out there. This may help you. Um, Don't say where you got it from, but this may come in handy at some point. It's very quick. Number one, you got to set the stage. So talk about some potential stomach issues that you feel are starting to boil. Uh, Number two, invent a dicey dining situation. So say maybe you ate somewhere that you typically wouldn't have eaten before. You shouldn't have eaten there. Number three use a specific food as the likely scapegoat. So say, oh yeah, I'm not feeling very good. I think it was because of X. The number four, when you call in to cancel uh, or to say you can't come into work, keep the
0: phone call short. See, I see this going wrong, though. You know, if you're going to lie, you got to keep the lie simple. The more detailed you make the lie, the more unbelievable it's going to be. You
1: don't say steps one through three on the call. You're just saying you end with the call. That's where you're so headed. you don't need
0: th- steps one through three. No,
1: just, you're hopeless. You've obviously, you've obviously <laughs> never faked anything in your life.
0: No, I'm honest.
1: And that's it thanks for listening to this week's episode don't forget to rate subscribe and review to commute on apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform check us out we're on social we're on twitter facebook and instagram and you can always say what up at our website commute the music for commute is provided by my main man jason sammons for jay sis and i'm dave trough we'll see you next week so jay i see here that um you can actually apply to be on the, the Wienermobile as a hot dogger. Yeah. And then what was the name of the co-pilot? Um, the,
0: they just ride Shot Bun. They are oh, also shop, shop a bun. hot dogger. Okay.
1: okay. Yes. So I would say, if we're just being honest, if we were going to apply, I would obviously be the hot dogger and you would ride Shot Bun.
0: They're both hot doggers.
1: Well, no, you, that, what that, well, that's, that what they, that's what they tell you, but the guy who drives is obviously the hot dog.
0: See, but. I disagree. I think you would be the guy in the passenger seat. You're better with the crowds and the work in the crowds. You'd be giving out the weenie whistles, taking the selfies, doing all, I mean, come on, like that's you.
1: You'd be right at home driving slow, because I have been in a car with you, <laughs> and man, you got to add like 15 to 20 minutes to your destination.
0: You're not wrong about that. I do drive slow. You can't call it the Weenie Mobile on in the interview. That's the only thing. <laughs>